Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcasting Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. We play this song on the radio. We play this song on the radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Now That's What I Call Music 21 as part of the Now and Again Retrospective Nostalgia Series. I'm your NPR dulcet tones voiced host, Chris Podcast, and with me today for this very special episode, Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you? Hey guys, I'm doing pretty good. How's everybody out there? So what we're doing today, because now, now has turned 21 years old, now can legally drink. So congratulations to now. It only took a couple of years and uh, about 400 songs, 300 of which were unlistenable. I mean... We listened, so that's got to count for something. Yeah, I mean, it's done more in its life than I did at 21. I also think at this point, it's actually, I feel funny saying it, but I'm no longer really playing along with the, um, does this prove the, the point or not thing. I think the, the, the look back at years past we did for number 20 where we looked at all the statistics mm-hmm. and we really analyzed whether or not it reflected music accurately or not. Yeah, I think that that told me it doesn't. <laughs> I'm still in for the ride. Yes, I am all in for this ride. It has been an awesome ride, you know, journey and not the destination, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm happy you have come along with me for this. Um, this I, I'm kind of digging this special episode, 21. I don't know if Nico is partaking in this, but I have decided that since we're recording kind of early, uh, much earlier than usual, this is like uh, we're taking now out for its 21st birthday to a drunk brunch. I've got a, a nice big French press of Rook coffee here. I've got a, a giant Bloody Mary. It's extra spicy. So I'm going to be I'm gonna be toasting to the series and its uh, coming of alcoholic age uh, and probably getting drunker than I usually do on these episodes. I'm, I'm partaking and celebrating in my own way. Good, good. So what, Nico, what is your usual uh, brunch preference? Like what, what, what's your go-to? Uh, for brunch, I mean, I'm I'm such a proteins guy. Like, it sounds mm-hmm. I'm not like like oh, it's all protein, bro. No, but it's like I hate filler food. Like, I don't do bread much. I don't do like pasta. Those aren't things I enjoy. I like meat. Really like meat. And uh, so I, my brunch, my go-to is like a screwdriver, mm. lots of bacon, and probably like waffles. Well, I mean, yeah, you you have to eat a lot of meat if you want to look like a living Rob Liefeld character. So I, I don't imagine a lot of bread goes into that mouth. No, I, uh, no, I don't. I just don't bread much. I, uh, I try to keep my, my carbs to like beer if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do love rice. I love rice an inhuman amount. I usually rock the eggs for brunch, uh, either a, a Benedict or a huevos rancheros. Um, but I had some French toast recently at like a, at a brunch buffet for someone's birthday. And man, I forgot how good just soaking, soaking some bread and sugar can be. Yo, and I've uh, discovered this syrup that I love. It's like aged bourbon maple syrup. Ooh. Oh my god, I put it on everything. I like uh, my favorite thing in the world is to get a vanilla bean halo top, and then Ooh. just like take a, like an apple corer and core out a middle in the halo top container, and then just pour up to that line with the maple bourbon syrup, and um, pay for it the next morning. Yeah, that's decadent in ways I wasn't sure you were capable of, uh, but I love it. It's also, uh, like, what'd you say? Vanilla bean maple top definitely sounds like a sex move. 
Oh yeah, vanilla or, or uh, a type of a type of bondage or something. It kind of sounds to me like a specific role you would play in like a northeast sex play. Right. You know, oh, he's a vanilla bean maple top. So I mean, he'll fuck you, missionary, but uh, it's like a tree. Like I don't know what else yeah. you would even call it. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> Poor guy, he only fucks missionary. Yeah, that's some people from Burlington, Dom. <laughs> it's very polite. They don't talk about it. You, they know you're inferior, but they don't want to talk about it to your face. They just keep it very hush-hush, and everybody asks about the weather. So instead of, you know, we, we are two Northeast libs, uh, but instead of talking about whatever vomit was pulled onto the, the pages of the New York Times op-ed by Ross Douthat this week, uh, we're going to talk about Mariah Carey with Don't Forget About Us. So, Nico, I feel like I have to yield to you on this one. It's, yeah. it's, it's your girl. She is. It's been a lot of fun because one of the things I hadn't expected was it's this really transformative experience I've had getting older and uh, not like, you know, one of the things that's really cool is when in this world now, when you make art, somebody is a fan. Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. That's like that's the best way I can say it. And so I'm lucky enough to have people that really appreciate my work and come back, you know, for the next they come back for the next issue or they come back for the next trade and it's been really exciting. And I I've been thinking more about what that means about how even, you know, even if I'm talking about Mariah Carey who was on this other planet who's worth like, you know, 500 billion dollars and you know, it's her and the Queen and J.K. Rowling and the three of them, I don't even know, they're the secret cabal that runs the world. But she still at some point on some level is a person who is just trying to make art. And I've I've really been looking at Mariah in in a new way because this new record came out, and I know I talked about it a bit on the best of the year, but this new record came out and so much of it is really obsessed with sex. And I promise this is coming back to Don't Forget About Us. It's it's this almost... It's weird to say because Mariah never really had a sexual revolution as an artist in her music. Yeah. She just became uh, someone who appeared more revealing in her oh, videos yeah. or in her photo shoots. She bared her breasts a bit more prominently in her dresses. Her music stayed very much on message. She had playful sex like... Uh, touch My Body, which, you know, throw me on the floor, wrestle me around, play with me some more, touch my body. But at no point was it like, finger it up. Like, it was always almost tasteful in a way that Janet Jackson can't claim she was always tasteful. Mariah always steered really clear of that. And on this record, she's much more like, I like it when you, uh. Mm. And I'm sort of thrown by it. Now you're referring to the, the most recent album? Yes, Caution. Or the album that Don't Forget About Us is on. Oh, yeah, no, no, Caution, the one that just came out. Okay. And I promise I'm getting to okay, Don't sorry, Forget sorry. About Us. No, no. So when I think about Mariah, you know, and now she's, this is, I think she's 46 now. You know, she's she's older. So for this to be, in many ways, her most explicit album is such a fascinating statement. And I see her trying to redo the things that haven't worked in the last few years, record after record, where she keeps going for this, like, disco meets banger kind of vibe, and it's just not, she's not falling into place for her. And I think about Don't Forget About Us, and where Don't Forget About Us came out in the Mariah Carey, like, oeuvre, was she had had Glitter, which was a humongous bomb, and uh, a subsequent hard mental, emotional 
struggle time. She that's right. so eloquent, but she really was in a very scary dark place. And she came back with a record called Charm Bracelet. It did okay. She had a big I'm back song, Make It Through the Rain. It was cute, you know, it did what it needed to do. It put Mariah back on message. And then she decides she wants to come back hard. And she comes up with The Emancipation of Mimi. And to say that this record was one of the most successful records of her career is an understatement. It was one of the most successful records of all time. It was the best-selling record two years in a row. Wow. In the world. It was the best-selling record two years in a row. And that's wow, fucking nuts. Wow, I had no idea. I thought, we were like a, in a, I thought we were in like a post-Mariah world at this point. So that's, no. that is pretty pretty wild. Yeah, that's, I did not know that. That's two th- yeah, in 2005, in 2006, I think it was. And that record had... Um, it's like that. We belong together. Shake it off. She did a huge Grammy performance after several years in a row, failing to receive any meaningful nominations or awards. And she was back. She was back, and she was back in such a big way that the Emancipation of Mimi had to be re-released over and over with bonus tracks. And the edition of the Emancipation of Mimi that Don't Forget About Us is from is called Mimi Ultra Plat. I can't make this shit up. I'm just not good enough. And she releases Mimi Ultra Plat, and it's Such funny. got all these... It really is. And it's got all these bonus tracks on it, and this was the lead-off bonus track. And all you could hear in these bonus tracks was they were further takes on the ideas presented in Mimi. But honestly, they felt like the next step. This felt very much like a synthesis of We Belong Together and Shake It Off or We Belong Together and it's like that. It had a lot of sensibility. It it played into that emotionally vulnerable Mariah kind of vibe that she was really pushing at this point. You know, she was redefining herself. She was a woman who had reclaimed her life and she had had the biggest hit of her career 20 fucking years into her career. She used to eat sadness sandwiches sleeping on the floor hugging dust bunnies to go to bed and she became one of the biggest artists in the world. Lost it all. Had the biggest record career ever. Literally, she had just signed one of the biggest contracts of all time and had a mental breakdown when her vaguely biopic bio pick came out and the whole world laughed at her she went from somebody whose worst criticisms were well i guess it's going to be a hit anyway to we're so embarrassed for her wearing that napkin as a top pretending we accept that this is her story she was assassinated and it was in one fell swoop and it didn't help that it was also as she was further engaging with and embracing her own black heritage by making a stronger move to hip hop and and trying to divert her energy to recreating herself in a new way working with Jay-Z on Heartbreaker she was really trying some new things and whether or not they worked isn't the question it was the worst critical period in her life to this point right and she comes back with the emancipation of Mimi and it's such a fucking mega success and all she wants to do is continue that mega success and she releases another version of it and wouldn't you know it recatapults her Christmas album back out of the charts in a way that it hasn't been in a decade mm. and she's in this is literally the height of second phase Mariah and she's made this comeback. What we're talking about, don't forget about us, is literally the most famous Mariah Carey ever fucking is in the entire fucking world. This is her minute. 
No one questioned what she did for one year, and it was this year. This is the best she ever was, ever will be, and this song exemplifies it in every way. It shows her versatility because we start with that incredible vulnerability, and there's this openness, and it does harken back to We Belong Together in so many ways, but she's not afraid to show the cracks in her vocal range at this point, especially on that chorus. Don't forget about late nights, laying in the dark. She's, she aches. There's something heavy. There's an oaky heaviness to the performance. And she crescendos for that bridge. And when she says she can't be, uh, she'll never be MC, baby, don't you, don't you forget about us. And she blasts off for that whistle. It's not just the signature Mariah whistle. It's the strongest the whistle has sounded on the radio in a fucking decade. And then she just goes into this full voice. We haven't heard her use that kind of full voice to attack anything, anything in several albums. Because at one point, I don't know what happened, but Mariah Carey decided that whispering is the same thing as emoting. (laughs) And it's just not... And we, we get this moment, we get this transcendent moment, and she really is Mimi. In this one, if I know how much she loves A Star is Born, I know how much she loves, um, oh, what's the other one she loves so much? Cabaret, because she references them in her best music videos. I know how much she loves these things. These are those, mo- this is that moment for her. This is that goddamn moment where she was the fucking beautiful golden idol that she always wanted us to know she was. I think it'd be pretty interesting, um, I know that the Grammys are in February and this is in February, so maybe not this year or maybe down the line, but I think it would be interesting to go um, year by year um, from the 90s on and look at the recipients and the nominees for Best New Artist because I, I looked at it, I know Mariah Carey won it in 91, and I was just kind of looking at who her contemporaries were at the yeah, time and who um, won it around her. And boy, those there's some there's some incredible names in, in the 90s um, who were up for this and who won it. I would... I would love to do that if for no other reason there was a really long period of time where Best New Artist was a curse. Curse. Yeah, exactly. And pretty much until her, that is, well, see, it's interesting that that is a thing and we should talk about that when we do this episode. So we should we should pencil this episode in. I think it'd be really fun. I agree because there's definitely Susan Tedeschi's yet to come and Lauren Hill's yet to come, people who won the award and then faded into obscurity. But then there's also Christina Aguilera, who won the award. So it's worth discussing that this category does know how to churn out a champion. It's just, it's really interesting to see some of who, some of these years, like some of these classes of who was up for it, like 96. Um, the people who didn't win included Brandy, Alanis Morissette, Joan Osborne, and Shania Twain. They lost to Paula Cole? Uh, lost to Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, the next year, Paula Cole beat Hanson. Uh, Paula Cole's two years later. Hanson, Fiona Apple, Erica Badu, and Puff Daddy. Um, <laughs> so, like, there's there's some real interesting stuff here, like the year that Amy Winehouse beat Paramore and Taylor Swift and Feist. Like, there's just that's so many weird names thrown together. Um, or the year that Macklemore beat Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> and like so many of these artists i i know that the best new artist okay so they redefined best new artist for alanis morissette that's actually why they set the new terms for it because alanis morissette had been having pop records in canada since like 1991 so it was unfair to call her best new artist when it wasn't even a new form of her she hadn't been in a band and now was solo she just transitioned genres into a much more powerful genre for her and it gave her a much more universal appeal so they didn't know what to do so it became your first 
um, considerable or your first major work on the world stage or some bullshit where they can claim you do or yeah. don't fit whether or not they want to consider you or not. And yeah, yeah, I don't understand how. Yeah, stay, stay tuned for yeah, that. Yeah, because how Puff Daddy can possibly be in that when I think he already had like fifty number ones by then. It's, it's that's going to be a good episode. We're gonna we're gonna pencil that in. We're gonna do that down the line. Uh, back to Mariah. What can I say that hasn't been said? Uh, I'm not as big of a fan of her as you are, but didn't know the song. Dug the song. The video. You kind of mentioned that she was getting a little bit more skin showy in her videos. This video should probably be called "Don't Forget About My Cleavage." It's just it's just just them titties all over the place. This this is like. The, the last three minutes of Freebird, but with a voice. And I'm sure she does this. She's done this before and back in like, you know, the, the 90s, like when she was at her probably vocal peak. Um, I'm sure that this was a thing that she did. But I mean, I, I, I should hate it, but I don't. I love it. Um, even though this one is, is really, really wanky. Um, who can pull it off like Mariah can? That's actually really what it comes down to. Everybody else, when you hear them do it, you say, oh, they're pulling a Mariah. And yeah. Can I be real with you? Mariah Carey was not even remotely the first person to do it. Mariah Carey didn't do it the best. Mariah Carey just does it the most iconically. There's a reason everybody calls it pulling a Mariah and not pulling in anyone else who can hit whistle register and goes nuts with it. She she has such... It's like you can just imagine... I, sometimes I just imagine her in the recording studio just hitting those notes like she's bored. And sometimes I think she hits them like it's passion. And sometimes I think she hits them like... Like, she's actually really thinking about a bag of cheese doodles. But, like, <laughs> no matter what, no matter how she hits them, she just... It's Mariah. No one else can claim that. No one else can claim their performance from day one has been their voice and no one else. I wonder how many times Christina Aguilera has, like, dug her fingernails into her palms and broken skin by someone saying, Ugh, you're just pulling a Mariah again. Uh, probably nowhere near as many times as Ariana Grande, who felt it was necessary to start, like, a near-public feud with Mariah. You know, like, because poor Ariana was the second somewhat Latina. I mean, not, because I'm not questioning Ariana Grande's Latina heritage. I'm questioning that Christina Aguilera was suddenly pivoted to Latina as quickly as they could when they saw a dollar sign there um, to get endless comparisons to Mariah Carey. Well, you know, we'll see where Ariana Grande goes. We, we've talked about on the best of episode how we thought Sweetener was a little overrated and her songs are, you know, consistently fine. Um, but I mean, you know, come with the queen, you best not miss. That's also interesting. I, I kind of think this was the year of big albums that went nowhere. I actually think mm-hmm. the Taylor Swift record was last year. I think Bad Reputation might have been 2017. Um, yeah. But I think... I think it's fascinating to me that Taylor Swift barely came up this year. Yeah, it, yeah, it's that was that was kind of a, a bad album, and uh, yeah, not, nothing really good came from that. A lot, lot of disappointment. See our uh, episode on the year in review. Um, next it also, up, the Pussycat Dolls stick with you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I just want to say I, I think there's something to be said about a comparison to between Taylor Swift and Britney Spears, and sort of how. Look, what you made me do is the I'm a slave for you of the Taylor Swift set. But Mm. how much longer it took Taylor Swift to get to what was she fucking thinking is I ultimately love I'm a slave for you. But I know culturally it was not that well received. I would disagree. I would I would say it's more her womanizer. Really? Because I think womanizer was super well received. Oh, see, I think that was the beginning of the what is Britney doing kind of movement. 
I think that was, but the album kind of, you know, and, and there were songs off of Reputation that people were into, but as a whole album, I think it kind of, the sound, the, the, the direction of her career was kind of something that people went, eh, not buying it. Yeah, I think it's really what it is. There was an argument of, I don't know, there was an argument of it just came off inauthentic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's completely correct. Pussycat Dolls, let's do it. Okay, the Pussycat Dolls stick with you. So, I know we've talked about the Pussycat Dolls before, and it's it's really nice of Nicole Scherzinger, Scherzinger to, um, to bring her friends along, because this really... This really is just her. I was actually about to make the joke that I would not be surprised if we found out that some of these Pussycat Doll songs were... Because, I mean, I've, I believe I've explained it. They were um, a high-end, very um, Bally's burlesque show. Yeah. And they had rotating guest hosts, and one of the rotating guest hosts was Christina Applegate, and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. And Nicole Scherringer was the one they put in for the package to get them on the road. She had been in the... WB's Pop Stars, which was the Making the Band that came out two years before Making the Band, that resulted in a girl group called Eden's Crush. They had a charting hit with Get Over Yourself Goodbye, and this was Nicole Scherringer's next big thing, uh, but she had already had a lot of industry attention thanks to things like Eden's Crush, and I actually think it's very deserved. I think she's an incredibly talented performer. I think she's um, a great singer, honestly, and she dances like no one's business, so I'm a fan, and I'm there to see it. I don't necessarily think she's, you know, sitting back and composing the Nessun Dorma anytime (laughs) soon, but I like her for what she is, and I would really not be surprised if you... Because I think the only other pussycat doll who gets any kind of, like, vocal time is named Melody. Uh, She's really talented as well, but if you told me that seven out of any ten pussycat doll songs were Nicole Scheringer demos that they were, like, just slap some backing vocals on, you'd have my vote. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. In the studio, it's the pussycat dolls are just her with, like, six different wigs and hats doing doing all of her (laughs) harmonies and things like that. Everybody's like, wait. Uh, I actually kind of dig the song, considering how much I didn't like, uh, don't you? And I think what's important about this song that makes it a little bit different is there's some actual um, sweetness to it. There's places that this song could be better. Yeah. And I actually love that there's places I think this song isn't great. The um, the bridge, when they come out of the, the, the kind of high part, the... And she's like, so don't go worrying about people hanging around. They ain't bringing us down. I think that sounds terrible. I think the mm-hmm. mix on it's bad. I think the instrumentation is bad. I think it sounds like a fourth grader put it together. But it's never the performance, and it's never the song. And I think the rest of the song around it sounds great. And there's always there's almost something endearing about it. It's almost like they didn't know how to do a ballad, but they tried. So I want to give them the points. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? There was times I felt like I really liked how restrained and low-key it was, and there were times that I was like, I wonder what this song would sound like, and maybe just because we came from Mariah, like, there's times when I was like, I wonder how this part of the song would sound if someone was just fucking belting it out. Yeah, because the one time that Nicole belts it is the one time I don't love the song. I don't even think it's her performance, I just think they had no idea how to mix it. Mm. And we are in the early 2000s where um, production just... 
it's it's like everyone just forgot how to use a studio. And I don't know if part of that is, you know, you've got the, the whole loudness wars thing starting to occur, production going like fully digital in regards to recording. Um, and, and I just don't know a little if people bit of knew the what the fuck camp. they were doing. Yeah, a little bit the old camp yeah, was being told. Yeah, it's just like they were playing with tools they didn't know how to use. Exactly. It, no, that's that's really what it sounds like. Oh my god, there's there's like there's just like 15 years of music that sounds like everybody's in film school, and you just want to be like, fuck, go back to film school, asshole. Yeah, but it, regardless of that, I think the song kind of um, for something I didn't remember in any way, kind of works. It was one of the nice surprises on 21 for me. Nelly grills. Traditional gold. I'm changing grills every day. Like Jay changed clothes, I might be grilled out nicely. Oh. In my white tee, oh. on South Beach. Oh. In my wife beat, BB a study. You can tell when they cut it. You see, my grandmama hate it, but my little mama love it. Cause when I. Your- Nell- Nelly just raps about things that he's wearing at any point in time. It's like Air Force Ones, grills, watches. It's like Fergie spells. Nelly looks in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, he's like, check out my sunglasses today. Here's three minutes about sunglasses. And um, this Nelly represents, like, the worst of the bling era, honestly. It's just fucking obnoxious. Uh, I got nothing. I hate it. I act- I feel like this is going to be, um, like, six episodes if I don't stop. So at some point, just tell me to fuck off. But one of the things about Nelly is I look back on Nelly, and until this show, I thought Nelly was much mm. more significant than he was. Yeah. I think because I heard country grammar start out of nowhere, and country gr- every motherfucker could do the whole song. Everybody, I don't care who you were. I mean, you know, if you even okay, maybe my friends couldn't, but I remember the particularly white crew at this point. Uh, in fact, calling them crew, it's a little bit closer to like did crew at Harvard than they my crew. So like. Than two live crew, yeah. This is they are not two live crew. <laughs> uh, we're gonna totally get banned <laughs> in the USA. So, I think one of the things is Nelly was huge in the Northeast, and we lived in a very urban adjacent suburb. So we did get a lot of influence from other aspects than maybe the most than maybe most white suburban kids, and everyone I knew for the most part, could do... I'm going down, down, baby. Like, we could do the whole thing. And everybody... We all knew it. The same way we all knew whatever Puffy had done. You know what I mean? Like, in fifth grade, right. when Puffy came out, half the school could absolutely chant every song from Puffy's... What was Puffy's first record? And Mace had Mace World, and that was uh, when Biggie oh, had Life After Death. I just don't remember the name of the Puffy record that goes along with the, that. That's part of that trilogy. Yeah. Like the Bad um, Boy trilogy. I just don't remember the Puffy record that goes there. But it's the one that had... Um, uh, no Way Out? Ah! Ah! Oh, God damn it. And as soon as you said it, I'm like, I probably could have gotten there in five minutes. It would have been one of those things where I randomly scream later in the show. Nelly was a bit later, obviously, but... I still feel like when Country Grammar started, everybody could do Country Grammar. And then as soon as Ride With Me came out, yeah. everybody could do Ride With Me. Yep. And then Hot In Here, everybody could do Hot In Here. And number one, even if you thought it was the worst fucking song you've ever heard, because it is, you could still do... Eh, 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 eh. Let me ask you now, what does it take to be number one? Two is not a winner, and three nobody remembers, because it's stupid and you can't forget it. It's literally like a taunting nursery rhyme and it gets stuck in your fucking head. So, in my head, Nelly had this, like, 10-year career that's really, like, 
two or like three real hits in like four years and then I have to imagine it was one of those things where the whole world was like, oh yeah, Nelly's still famous and the label was desperate to get rid of him because they already saw his expiration date. After Hot and Hair, his expiration date was set. Congratulations, buddy. You just thong-songed. You are now that guy. You can never evolve past it and you're stuck. I don't care how many hits you had before this. Now you're that guy. Your biggest hit is your last biggest hit and that's always what it is. I guess having a thong song is like your third or fourth single, though, is better than having it as your first one. Oh, absolutely, because, you know, I think somehow 50 Cent managed to have, like, three thong songs in a row. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, but he had, like, three thong songs in a row. I just want to say, I speaking of 50 Cent, um, I saw one of the greatest music tweets. I, I can't remember who did it, and I apologize to this person, but someone said that In the Club should be the Iraq War's fortunate son, which is incredible. <laughs> Give me all of that. Jesus. Jesus. Sorry, go on. I have nothing. Oh, no, I have nothing. Chris Brown is a piece of shit psychopath who should be forced to box a, a hungry bear on pay-per-view. Well, here's something that happened, buddy. The episode you missed that I know you haven't had a chance to listen to at the time of the recording right yeah. now... We actually had to discuss this song. Oh, wait, run it? And we discussed it in terms of the fact, yeah. Oh, okay, so... It came up. Uh, One of the things that we thought was really strange was that R. Kelly and Chris Brown both had number ones on December 15th, years apart, and just that we had said those were two artists we were never going to discuss again. Right. And they immediately interacted with the show. They intersected in this weird way that I couldn't not discuss. What was also more interesting than that was we... It, it was really interesting because Jonah didn't even remember Run It. I had I, to remind him what Run It was. I have no idea what it was. I've never heard the song in my life. Yeah, I knew this song for sure. I This is another one that I felt like was everywhere I went. This was a song that, like, I was, you know, occasionally going to clubs. And I had a slightly different friend group than you did at the time because I knew other gay people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was just like a different thing going on. Sure, I still have never heard the song. I'm I'm actually listening to it. That's crazy to me, man. That's so crazy to me. Yeah, two thousand what five four different times for both of us. Two words diverging yeah. in the wood. One goes to clubs and listens to Chris Brown. <laughs> well, one goes to clubs and puts up with Chris Brown and is like, "Can we go home now?" Yeah. Can we go home now? I was not I was not as much fun in my 20s as I am now. <laughs> Next one up. Not much better, but... It's going to be kind of fun to talk about. Um, I think this song was... Oh, yeah, by the way, it's, it's Black Eyed Peas, my host. What you going to do with all that junk? All that junk inside that trunk. I'm going to get, 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 get you drunk. Get you love drunk off my hump. What you going to do with all that ass? All that ass inside of jeans. Um, this song was everywhere at the time, and boy, it was easy to hate it when you've heard it three times in a row. But full disclosure, uh, having had about 10 years between myself and it, <laughs> kind of liked it, even though I don't think it's good. Coming back to this after so long, like, it's really bad, but there's there's a charm to it. You know, we've said that the Black Eyed Peas are like a band that creates music to kind of be... Okay, so... 
picture yourself in 2005 watching like the NBA finals and every time they come back from a commercial like a, a Black Eyed Peas song plays like that's that's what they were making like now the bands that make that are like Imagine Dragons and 21 Pilots but at this time the Black Eyed Peas were making that song to be played in 30 second bursts to sell something or remind you that you're watching something so you should be awake but this this song isn't exactly like that this song isn't as like commercialized or um, event centric as I've got a feeling or um, let's get it started um, this is its own weird little monster. Like, who the fuck is this for? And what is it trying? And what is it trying to do? I genuinely, this is like a, a song for people with sugar daddies. Like, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, but I love it anyway. <laughs> I, I'm a staunch Fergie defender. Everything but her national anthem. <laughs> I think she's amazing. I don't think a little party ever killed nobody except for all of the people that have overdosed at parties. And I think that this is one of those things that I, I actually can I can I make a parallel for you? Okay, so I need to give you a little context. One of the things I like to do is I like to set alerts on my Google account for artists that we've talked about how either nothing has ever come up from again or significant things have happened with and we should keep discussing them. So I like that's how I sometimes know what to, you know, bring up here. Switchfoot released a new album. Wow, what? Okay. Who fucking knew? The last we discussed Switchfoot, they went on their first hiatus in their entire career. Didn't last that long, they just released a new fucking album. Sure, that came up. I wasn't going to bring that up. That's dumb. Who cares? The Black Eyed Peas just released an album without Fergie. Oh, what, what, what even is that? So, that's why that had to come up, right? I'm going to pull it back yeah. up, but my Google account alerted me that there was a new album by the Black Eyed Peas... And it does not feature. It does not feature Fergie, so I don't know what to tell you. It's called "Masters of the Sun," Volume One, and the first track is called "Back to Hip Hop" featuring Nas. The album cover itself is their three faces, no Fergie, and uh, one track features Estero, which great choice. One track features Nicole Scherzinger. Uh, it's a 12-track album, and it clearly does not include Fergie. Their previous record had Fergie on the cover. This one does not, and it feels almost like a statement. And well, yeah, I, having the first track be called Back to Hip Hop almost makes it seem like they're blaming Fergie for having have been the band that sold your mom her, her, her uh, panties, uh, wheat thins or something. Oh, no, it, 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 seriously. Will I am, come on. We know that you were the architect of that, motherfucker. So if I can, if I can intersect with that, I think in retrospect, did you watch the video or just listen to the song? Uh, my humps, I absolutely watched the video. Okay, I want you to intersect that video with Don't Speak by No Doubt and pretend that this is the moment where they all hate her. <laughs> so so who did they bring back for Black, the Black Eyed Peas album? It's, it's Mohawk Guy, and it's the guy who kind of looks like Bob from Twin Peaks. <laughs> and, um, well, I am. Yeah, and so it's, so it's well obviously Will I Am's gonna be there, but then it's like everyone forgets about the other two guys. Yeah, the, and I actually believe they both um, I believe they both speak Tagalog or Tagalog. Okay. I never remember how to pronounce it. I always feel terrible. And I believe at one point in their lives they got to do or AP like they they I can't remember the language and I feel so terrible. But they actually got to do songs in another language that was. Um, of you know importance to them and their culture, and you know there was a time where the Black Eyed Peas weren't just a serial jingle. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about many moons ago their first song being like a 
vaguely like if not simple simplistic <laughs> dopey like kind of socially conscious attempt <laughs> oh my god oh no I was trying to drink and um <clears throat> I started writing a Black Eyed Peas song in my head and I started to die because I said they were a commercial jingle and I was like, Frosted Flakes! In your face! Let's do some E! And that's now their, that's now their jingle for Frosted Flakes. Can I just, uh, can I just read some of these, um, these lyrics in the song because it's not that far off from what you just did. Um, I drive these brothers- Oh no, I know. And then we need to talk about the Alanis Morissette cover. Oh, no, we do not. Um, I drive these brothers crazy. I do it on the daily. I do it on they the daily. Me really they nicely. treat me really nicely. They buy they me, buy all, me this all these ices. Like Dolce & Gabbana, Fendi, and Donna. Karen got me. Sharon. Like, I can almost do it all. If I were doing it, I could do it without messing it up. But I'd have to do Dude, it. That the, the Milky Milky Cocoa Puffs bridge I forgot happened. And when it happened, I started laughing. <laughs> 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 just, just a rancid song. That's actually <laughs> just. How are you gonna get all that ass inside them jeans? <laughs> what are you gonna do with all that breast? Here you say it is worse. What are you going to do with all that breast? I'm Ira Glass. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, this American hell. life. <laughs> so I okay. So um, for a second, I was like, I only heard this by Philip Glass. <laughs> but I think I think one of the things about how bad this song is is that it is great because it's so bad. And I feel that way about a lot of Fergie's music. Milf Money is <clears throat> unironically one of my favorite pieces of music. Have you ever heard this song, dude? No. No. Okay, can you do me a favor? Can we get a live reaction to you watching Milf Money? Okay. Can There's, I just tell you that I the Black Eyed Peas album... Amazing. All right, I'm going to bring it up. As I tell you, that the Black Eyed Peas album that this was on, uh, Monkey Business from 2005, had 19 tracks. And I bet it sold 19 million copies. Oh, I'm sure. All right, so this is a brief live reaction to... Fergie's. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I clicked the wrong thing. This is M I. Oh no, M I L F dollar sign. Okay, so yeah, that is Milf Money. Um, I'm gonna skip around because. No, no, no. Watch the video. It's so good. No, no, it's so good. Please watch it. Oh, is that a? Uh, is that um Chrissy Teigen in this video? Just hanging out, fake breastfeeding. Yeah, a bunch of famous people baby. are in the okay, video cool. with her. Digging it. Um, so this song is not good, but I'm kind of loving it so far. Exactly. Everything by Fergie. I mean, is... do I have to finish it? I feel like that's just going to be the where it comes down to. Like this is this is okay. Then you can just jump to the Fergie end. Song. Just leave thirty seconds from the end and just. Oh, we got Kim Kardashian. Figure this out how is, you get to them all pouring event. milk on themselves. Uh, they said that the Avengers was the most ambitious crossover, but now I'm watching the video for Milk Money. Yeah, it's going to break the internet, or it never did, because yeah. Fergie songs are really hard to take seriously. And that's... I think she knows that, though. Well, except when she tries to write songs about real and serious things. Because Fergie is still the woman who is going to release... At this point, I don't think she has released The Duchess yet. I believe The Duchess is coming. 
with London Bridge, okay. but it also has Big Girls Don't Cry, Double Duchess, which was her follow-up record, with Milf Money. This album, unfortunately, had a really devastating and storied journey to a barely released record. Uh, the first single is like two and a half years before the album comes out, and obviously they just kept gutting and retooling this fucking album because no three songs on it sound like they could possibly be from the same sessions. And by same sessions, I mean like with the same intent for the same artist to release it. It's it's a bonkers nightmare show of a record. It really is. So it's not her fault though. Anyway, she has a song on there like "That's Life," and it's another one where she's like, "Hey." Life gets hard, and sometimes you got to work through it. Don't cry, big girls. And she only seems to know, basically, I took too much of my kids' Adderall in the bathroom of this club. Somebody help me. <laughs> I need another Dos Equis. And um, everybody, let's, like, PTA mom together and talk about Becky, who's having trouble with Adderall. Like, those are the only two settings on a Fergie song. It's the dark version of the suburbs that uh, that our you know our family Preston uh, he's never had to explain. I mean, clearly they've experienced the heartache of Preston dying, but you know this is this is a very different heartache. Yes. R.I.P. Uh, her and Kim Kardashian are now pouring milk on themselves in a sexy way. Uh, there's nothing sexy about smelling like baby poop. Just that point. Uh, good, good, uh, good post in the in the. In the YouTube comments, uh, I can't find the full video on browsers. Did they delete it? <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, this video is dumb as shit, but I kind of everything about this is really stupid. But I'm kind of I'm kind of on board. It's the same thing as my I'm humps. It. It's just about her yeah. um, milf money instead. We're gonna get to London Bridge, and I think that song is, from what I remember, genuinely awful. But I would have said that about this before this morning. I do think that Big Girls Don't Cry has one of my least favorite lyrics of all time in it. But uh, I will continue to hold off on that until until we get to it. Um, I'm trying to figure but, out. Yeah, you know what? Fergie face turned on me after the song and and that milf money interlude. Um, I, I'm on board the Fergie train. Let's oh, get Fergalicious cool. in here, dude. Just get ready for her to spell a lot of things for you. As long as you can put up with her <laughs> spelling a lot of things for you, you're gonna be fine. One of the things I thought was difficult at first was I felt like she thought I was stupid because she kept spelling things for me. Like, maybe I didn't understand if she didn't go slowly. But then I realized, no, she's used to spelling things for Will I Am because he seems to clearly like it when you break <laughs> things into letters. So she just thinks that I want to be like, Anako! And she's just trying to, like, talk to me the way she talks to people. The the, the bright, like, uh, aesthetic of, of that video, uh, Milf Money, Not My House, uh, on top of like the spelling, reminded just reminded me of the recent like click hole headline, where how they do the Sesame Street things. Uh, the most recent one was, "Did Sesame Street go too far by having Ernie microwave himself while no lesson today flashes on the screen?" <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what Fergie is kind of, just like the Sesame Street version of, of of like you said, a mom who did too much Adderall. Um, and I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here for you, Fergie. I'm, uh, I just want to say I'm also excited because this will have happened by the time this episode drops. I'm excited for Maroon 5 to, um, surpass the Black Eyed Peas for the worst halftime act, uh, in history. I think that will definitely happen. The only reason I actually think people are going to walk away with a very positive reaction to the Maroon 5 halftime show is they have, like, 16 years of an unbelievably varied sound to pull from, and they have an incredible number of friends they have amassed in that time. 
and I would not be shocked if we saw the weakest band to take a Super Bowl halftime show in some time. And by weakest band, I just mean like so much of their music is digital; it's synthesized. They're not there to perf- mm-hmm. they're not there to play their music; they're there to perform. If they can trot out a Madame Tussauds worth of of famous other people to come hit notes on songs that they like, you know. Christina Aguilera shows up and they do moves like Jagger and Mick Jagger comes the fuck out and then they do something else. Who would fucking be surprised? This is... They didn't pick Maroon 5 because Maroon 5 still has hits coming out. They picked Maroon 5 because Adam Levine is on the whatever show that he does where he tells people to sing good and then sells cologne to me in a towel at my gym. Mm -hmm. So that's why they picked Maroon 5. I think Maroon 5's show is going to walk away smelling like roses the way everything Maroon 5 does. It's just going to well, appeal to the right people. I'd like to imagine that's true, but thus far they've only announced uh, Travis Scott as joining them. So, yeah. oh, I think I think it's going to be surprise guests. I think they're going to just have people walk out on that stage. We we shall see, and we will. I'm sure we will talk about it uh, nine months from now when the episode, the episode that we recorded <laughs> after that finally drops. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this Rihanna song. Um, I feel like we're still in the era of Rihanna not really getting to be Rihanna. I mean, but what even is Rihanna, really? She's somebody who makes whatever's smart to make. There's still a sound to her, but that's that's her voice, and it's her delivery. Rihanna makes the genre that is smart to make, and just, you know, she's she's a performer. She, I don't think she's a singer, and I feel terrible, but I, the, I, and I even really, really, I, I'll defend work as one of my favorite singles, and I know everybody hates it. It's fine. I just think it's a great piece of music with terrific lyrics, and I think she performed the hell out of it, and I love Rude Boy, and uh, I super love, what else, Diamonds, but that's more a Sia thing. I, um, and, I feel like, I feel like um, tracks like Disturbia or Bitch Better Have My Money are like uniquely Rihanna. And I, Okay, as soon as you said that, I super get it. But now the problem is, there's so few, I can't name others. <sighs> yeah, I don't know if that's on me, or if it's, or if there's just not that many. You, you certainly know more than me, so you saying that... I, that's the thing. Yeah, I, the only other one I can think of is, like, Shut Up and Drive. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And I wonder if one of the things that... Have to see. I guess that'll be something fun to go down this road with her. I also think that one of the things that we're commenting on with songs that we like by Rihanna is they have something, or the, or the, or the Rihanna-ist songs have something really interesting in common. Rihanna is capable of, you know, some amount of range, but vocally, Rihanna sits lower better. And yeah. uh, Disturbia and Shut Up and Drive could, and Bitch Better Have My Money right? Mm-hmm. They could all be also sung by 14-year-old boys. And I wonder I mean, if one yeah. of the things that people really like about Rihanna is the accessibility of the vocal performance. Nobody listens to Beyonce and goes, I love Beyonce music because I sound exactly like her when I sing along. And the people who do, nobody wants to hear it. So, I think Rihanna is somebody that, like, you're like, you can put it on and just sing along, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that's that's something I never really thought about, but you're right, she never really belts, uh, and that's fine. She's, yeah, she's she's got her niche that she's carved out, both vocally and kind of um, personality, aesthetic-wise, and I think it works for her. Jonah Cat, fiercely in defense of Rihanna as a person. Okay. And I thought that was really interesting, because he grew up with her, mm-hmm. pretty much already famous, 
he and she's only a you know she, I think she's closer in age to him than than us. It's or not by much, and you know she she just really identified with her in a really positive way, and that's nothing. I mean, to me, she's Rihanna. She's that person that came out in like two thousand and five, but to Jonah, that's a very different year. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's part of her continued success. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm 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 not um, I, I haven't disliked really like full on disliked. I guess Pond Replay was disappointing on revisit, um, but I haven't straight up disliked a single Rihanna song. But at the same time. Um, I guess this is maybe this is part of your hypothesis as well. She's never gonna no song is really gonna be a ten um from her. Like she's just gonna kind of ride this mid range on an average throughout her career, I guess. And I can kind of see that. I'm interested to see if that does pan out. Because um, like I said, I think there are individual songs from her I really love, but I She'll have Umbrella though. Now, with how much she's done and she was at a point where she was releasing like an album a year for a little while. There's probably way more trash in there. I believe the statistic was she did like six albums in five years. Yeah, it's something wild like that. It's like there never wasn't a Rihanna album out. And part of that is what worked, because she had the occasional mega hit. I mean, mega hit. But for every umbrella, there's a handful of if it's loving that you want. And when you're talking about that, it's more like Rihanna managed to stay on the radar at any level, at any cost. There was this phenomenal article about five years ago, and I forget it now, and I'd, I'd have to find it, but it was about how the album, I think it was anti, so it couldn't have been five years ago, it had been like three years ago, but the album with Work had an, an original different lead single, and like $3 million had been put into that song, the writing, the producing, the recording. It was expected to be the biggest song of her career. They had put so much into it, they were talking about like pre-selling it to movies and to product tie-ins, and it was going to be the biggest thing in the world. And then another record label, or like another artist, released a song that was kind of similar, and they liked that song more, so they killed the Rihanna song out of nowhere and made Work oh, the wow. single. Huh. And that's yeah. just how shit works. And it wound up on the album, and I for, you can actually look it up which song it was. It's somewhere on the internet, but that's how this stuff goes. And it's really interesting when you think, "Wow, somebody!" It's it's Tori Alame's with Doncha versus the Pussycat mm-hmm. Dolls with Doncha. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Speaking of doesn't, uh, Bow Wow, fresh as I'm is. I got nothing for this one. It's not good. It's bad. We've honestly talked about Bow Wow and JD a lot more than I together than I even think makes sense. JD also produced "Don't Forget About Us." Yeah, most of that album. Actually. Made, yeah, yeah. He and Mimi did two or three albums in a row together, and they. Uh, I think "Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel" was the dream, not JD. Um, and I think the dream actually did some demos for it. Like, I think he has a demo of about my face out there and maybe hate you. I don't remember, but, um, great stuff, but this is not great stuff. This is really forgettable. This is where the now starts to be padding. Yeah. Um, dem franchise boys lean with it, rock with it. In the uh, episode where we talked about uh, people's numbers, I think oh. we, we mentioned that they would have one more appearance and it would oh. also be memorable, but how funny it is that the appearance is memorable, but they're not. Yes, yeah. So they started with, uh, oh, I think they like me. 
you know, fine, fine song. Um, and this one too, like I know verses from it. I wonder how much of that is just like hearing it mashed up with things around this time. Um, but the, the song itself is again, kind of like those, the bad production of the bling era. It's like no bottom. It's kind of these empty beats um, and like mediocre rapping over it. Um, I, I, it's, it's not good. Um, I won't. Yeah, I do. I do recognize both these songs, but like if you played those songs to me at a different time and were like, who sings this? I would have no fucking clue. If you just played the music, I'd probably have trouble telling you what goes in it. Or telling you which gets what. Uh, Stay Fly by uh, the Oscar award winning 3-6 Mafia actually kind of transcends a lot of the bling era tropes and things that uh, make a lot of the tracks forgettable and uninteresting and boring and homogenous. Um, these guys really uh, seem to be trying <laughs> with their rapping, which apparently wasn't really happening at the, happening at this time. Uh, a lot of what we've heard so far in this era has just been kind of talking, like gang talking, um, like five people saying the same thing together to a very loose beat. So, again, sounds homogenous, sounds sounds samey, sounds like every single track. This has its own sound. This has its own production. Uh, kind of beats that it's hitting that are unique to anything we've heard this far. They seem to be trying. Each member of Three Six Mafia has their own personality that shines through in the song. Um, I think this does kind of separate itself from Dem Franchise Boys or or Nelly, uh, and it sounds it sounds like a band that is making their own niche. And Three Six Mafia, uh, like I said, they won a fucking Oscar around this time um, for their work on Hustle and Flow. And uh, I mean, it shows they have a personality. It seems like they're working on music instead of working on being in commercials. And I appreciate that a lot. All I really had was Three Six Mafia. Maybe <laughs> not the best remembered band, but they really do have an Oscar. And they appeared in an Aaron Sorkin show. And they really... I actually... I believe this was the year at the Oscars that Dolly Parton was nominated for Traveling Through for Transamerica, I believe. Um, I actually really thought that was a tremendous piece of music, to be honest. Um, not like the world's biggest Dolly Parton music fan. I am an enormous oh, yeah. Dolly Parton, the she fucking rules. kindly philanthropist who puts books in the hands of kids who can't read otherwise, who never makes anybody feel bad for being different. If you don't like get down on your hands and knees and thank the world that Dolly Parton made it a little bit better... Uh, thank the universe that Dolly Parton has made the world a little better. You're doing something wrong, but I think Dolly mm. Parton is not an artist I super listen to. You know, Jolene, but you know, <laughs> then there's then there's traveling through, which lost the Oscar. I was super bummed out about it. Uh, regardless, point of story. I think Three Six Mafia is a group who aren't remembered well enough. They do they did good work. I don't know if it was one of those things that rap changes. Yeah. I feel like rap changes a little bit faster than other genres at times. Rap advances. It's very trend dependent as well. Yeah. And I think we see motifs come back in rap a lot. I think we've seen the speed of, of how, I mean, we've seen the speed of words in rap, like literally words per minute oscillate so extremely in the last 10 years because that's where I sometimes catch myself the most fascinated words per minute it's one of the most defining things of of a rapper's style is is the speed of their flow and uh, I think I wonder if that's part of what happened to 
Three Six Mafia, their delivery fell out of out of niche with the radio, and that's just one of those things. Rap moves so fast; it's it's a genre that I don't know. Maybe it's that rap wasn't taken seriously for the first twenty years by enough people. I mean, obviously, internally, rap has always been treated with respect, but the world at large didn't understand what to do with all of these white people buying music not intended for them. And I wonder if rap is forced to evolve a little bit faster to make up for time where it was not as properly cared for and cataloged and mass outside of its own sphere. The, the, a lot of these tracks we've covered so far are just lazy as hell, man. There's like no effort lazy. put into anything. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to get better for another couple songs. Well, yeah, T-Pain's I'm Sprung. Um, uh, you know, like, T-Pain seems to have a sense of humor about himself, and I appreciate that. Him doing, like, a, a, a soft, sensitive, lovey song, still in that extremely stupid auto-tune voice, is just, It's so bad. And, like... I'm pretty sure this was his yeah, first it's song. It's disconnected from itself. It's... I, I, but it's just... It's, it's very bad. This song is... This song doesn't work in any way. Like, literally, I, I think this... I believe this came before I'm in love with a stripper. Like, I think this was his first song. Like, this is... Well, then, I'm happy he kind of more found his niche, which is the, the kind of I'm in love with a stripper kind of aspect, because <laughs> you, you can't take the autotune seriously on an entire song. <laughs> it's it's very of 2005, 2006, and, God, it's it's just obnoxious when you know that this is forever. It's it's that Flo Rida thing. When Flo Rida first came out, I think Flo Rida thought we thought Flo Rida was for real. And after a little while, Flo Rida became a lot cooler mm-hmm. with us thinking he's funny. And he had a little bit more fun being yeah, funny. Yeah, completely agreed. This is a... I think T-Pain just needs to have fun being funny or he doesn't work. Also, the, the video is very strange. Uh, there's, it's It doesn't work. Um, nothing about this works. And I'm glad he got to do a couple of fun things in the future. Uh, but this this would not have been the thing that made me think this guy had a, a future in any way. Um, speaking of people who's who springboarded careers, if not maybe their own, uh, Ray J with One Wish. Uh, I, I, I have nothing to say about this song. Like, Ray J is a very interesting footnote in basically pop culture history due to who we watched him have sex with. Yes. Thank you. That's... Uh, <laughs> I, I've been trying to figure out how to talk about Ray J this whole time. Uh... Brandy's brother, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Whitney Houston's paramour at the time of her death. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, Kim Kardashian sex tape? Yeah. Has really boring sex with Kim Kardashian. So, I feel like I am aware more of things involving Ray J's <laughs> reproductive cycle and the reproductive cycle that created him, then I am aware of Ray J. And I'm fine with that. He's like the R&B Forrest Gump. I'm just like, I shrug. This song is okay. I think I maybe owe you a slight apology about something. Oh, well, that seems unlikely, but I'll hear you out. There was a misunderstanding uh, about Jessica Simpson. There was a misunderstanding at one point that you thought I liked with you, or like Jessica Simpson, when I really fucking hate her. Not her, she's a, whatever, she wants to do with her life, I find her music annoying. Um, I really like with you, and now in retrospect, I don't think I like with you. 
Oh, you don't need to apologize for that. No, no, no. I think what I liked was this sort of celebrity cultural cloud she created. I think that she was someone I grew up with and saw continuing to be famous in a in a new way that felt somehow almost like tangible in a way that I identified with at the time. I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but I feel like I defended that song as good. And what I more meant was I have warm fuzzies about that mental block in my head. And like, I was like, no, it's a good song. No, it's not. It's a terrible song. It's a terrible, terrible song. It's a terrible song. I just want to say, because I really feel like I usually have the song on in the background and the video as we're discussing it in case I need to come up with new new things to say. Um, but that Ray J song, just, it, I, it, I got nothing. Kim Kardashian sex tape, not on Pornhub. Huh. Just, just throwing it out there in case anyone's reminded by that and is like, oh, I need to go look for that. Doesn't seem to be there. I wouldn't want to watch it. Unless I just, unless I just missed it. I didn't, didn't put a ton of effort into it. <laughs> much like this entire episode, much like these last six songs. So I think because this is a even 20, we should uh, maybe cut here because I think we have some things to say about the next uh, eight tracks more so than kind of some of the chunks. So Nico, where can people find you before we jump into side B? As always, you guys can find my super awesome comic book, Riot Squad, over at KidRiotComics.com. You can check out my music at Facebook.com slash ActionDuo, and you can check out thoughty pictures of me on Instagram at Instagram... Wait, no, I would say Instagram.com slash my username, and that's the dumbest shit ever. Just look up my username, NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, Chris Podcasts, where can... Oh, wait, I forgot. I have other shows. You guys should check out Extra for Podcast, where we read X-Men comics. You guys should check out uh, .html, where my husband and I talk about whatever the fuck we feel like it, and right now we feel like talking about Marvel movies, and I guess that's all the places you can find me. Or at home, Chris Podcasts, where can everybody find you? Uh, mostly at Chris Podcasts on Twitter and right here on the Cage Club Network doing this podcast with Nico and occasionally showing up on other ones to ruin them. So that's it. I have to refill my Bloody Mary. So until now turns 21, part B, B is for brunch. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side.